rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Don't be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider these words, this prayer, this cry of Isaiah, we pray as always for insight and understanding into the relationships you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, I was tempted to join in that conga line. It's going to be fun downstairs. If children's church, there are puppets involved. So now's your moment. Okay, you're, you're staying here. So Isaiah 64, our, temp- ten, our text of emphasis in this time of turmoil and uh, war, we're talking about turmoil and war up here, so then again, once again, puppets are happening downstairs. <laughs> In this time of turmoil and war, Isaiah 64 seems particularly uh, relevant uh, for us today. We can imagine Isaiah in the streets of Gaza or Ukraine or even in the tumultuous streets of New York right here calling for God to show up. God, show up. Do something. Things are a a mess. We need you now. We need you more than ever. And yet, uh, Isaiah 64 is also a call to patiently uh, wait, to patiently wait. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. There's the inclination to call out to God to come and be present. Come down to make your name known, to know your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. God, be present Again, who doesn't resonate with this appeal? But then the reality is that we are waiting. We are uh, waiting. This week, uh, Christians around the globe are celebrating the start of the Advent season. The Advent season is that time where we're thoughtful and reflective on what it means that Jesus' arrival is coming. So we're celebrating the, or, or looking forward to the, the first Advent and celebrating this first Advent, but we also look forward to the second Advent. And so this Advent season, we are reflecting on what it means to wait, to wait. 
Uh, we're all familiar with uh, waiting. If you live in New York in particular, and I know we've got our whole online community, I know you know what it means to wait, but if you live in New York, you know what it means to wait. We've all have been forced to wait in many lines. That's what we do, wait to get on the subway. We do a lot of waiting here in New York City. So I know that you uh, have, are familiar with waiting. Uh, the Stouts had to do some waiting recently. Uh, a couple months ago, it was decided that we were going to get a puppy. Th yes, that, I, thank you, thank you. So I, you know, I was, I love dogs, but we, uh, we have reached the capacity, according to the fire marshal, of our apartment. We have five, and the fire marshal says only five humans are to be in the, in the apartment at one time. Uh, let's say the fire marshal is our birth control. That's another story. Anyway, we won't get into that now. We have three children, for those who don't know. So anyway, the idea of adding a sixth living creature beyond our fish seemed a little bit uh, challenging, but we did it. We did it yesterday. The puppy came, but it's very exciting, I know. Uh, so, though, there was a long period of waiting, and if you have children who love puppies, waiting for them, that's, it can be challenging, but my wife as well. I kind of lost my wife for a couple months here at night, you know, our pillow talk, I would look over and she's on her phone. I'm sure you're familiar with this thing and you, what's going on? Was it Instagram? Was, was she texting uh, family members? No, she was scrolling for dogs for months at a time. So I'm so glad we have this dog because I can talk to my wife again. Very exciting. <laughs> anyway, there was waiting. It was so bad. The kids were so excited about and We were waiting and it wasn't working out. And then we got an email, come and get the dog. And so Jude and I, he's, Jude's the biggest dog fan, and we went to Long Island City to pick up the dog. We had received an email, come get the dog. And we got there and they said, uh, this isn't going to work out. And so for various reasons, I'm still not sure exactly what happened, but I will never forget Jude leaving the door. And he said, that was disappointing. Which is, not, which is not what you want to hear from your, your kid. Um, my wife is smarter than I am, and she's like, this is good for them to be disappointed. Um, very cynical. Um, anyway, the dog is here. The waiting is over. Very exciting. But we know what it's like to wait. Waiting can be uh, miserable. So in Isaiah, our text of emphasis, Isaiah, Isaiah 64, uh, theologians, Bible students think that this was written much later than much of the, uh, the rest of Isaiah even into the time of the Babylonian captivity. So if you know the Bible story, there we had these people that God was looking out for, and they went into captivity. They were taken from their, their home, taken from the city of Jerusalem, taken from their country, and had to live in another city. And so they're longing, looking forward to returning home. We know, or we, we think, that this passage was written during this time, because if you go back to Isaiah 60, or, or I should say continue on, uh, reading Isaiah 64, verses 10 and 11, which we didn't read as part of our text of emphasis, we read this. Uh, Isaiah says, Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our ancestors praised you, O God, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. Some of you know I had the opportunity just a couple months ago to be there in Jerusalem. And... Uh, if you've ever been, you go down to see Heze down to Hezekiah's tunnel, and so it's from like the top of, of Mount Zion, and you walk down, and as you're walking down, 
they're excavating, and you can literally see stones that have flame marks, fire marks, burn marks on them. And it's thought that this is from this time when the Babylonians came and took over the city and burned the city. So we can imagine Isaiah is talking to people who are waiting, longing with anticipation that they get to return home. Waiting, waiting. And so Isaiah 64 is written in a time of waiting, but we too live in a time of uh, waiting, whether it's uh, waiting for wars to cease, wait, waiting for peace to reign, waiting for our political system to figure itself out. I mean, we're all with, with anticipation as we get ready to enter another electoral season. Who's excited about that, by the way? I don't care which side you're on. Nobody, I don't, I don't know anybody who's like, I cannot wait till this election. We're all like waiting with anticipation what is going to happen. And so we're waiting, we're waiting for what's going to happen. We're, we're, we're hoping things are not crazy. We're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. There's a lot of waiting. And then some of you are waiting for other things. You're waiting for your bank account to be more full than it is. Yeah, yes, yes, we are. We will pray for you. We have a prayer group right after the service. We'll pray for you. So maybe you're waiting. Maybe maybe you're waiting to find out what what job you're going to get or where your career is going to uh, lead you. Some of you are waiting for a special someone to show up. By the way, we're starting the fellowship meals again, conversations and cuisine, right, Michelle? Many many a love interest has been found and matched at fellowship meals. I see Rosamar Marlaney right here. We talked about it last week. They found love at Avon Hope. Look at this, right? Could you just raise your hand, Marlene? That's right. Just talk to them about meeting your special person at the fellowship meal, happening December 16th, by the way, and 23rd, so it's going to be bad. We're very excited about that. Anyway, you're waiting, you're waiting. We're all waiting for, for something, and Isaiah 64 teaches us about uh, waiting. First of all, we see in the waiting process that there is a, a longing. In verse 3, it said, For when you did the awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. There's a longing for things to be different, for God to intervene, to God to do what only he can do. There's reflection in verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So Isaiah is reflecting during this time of waiting on, on the condition of the people and the condition of their own hearts, that they, they, they're supposed to do what is right. God wants them to do what is right, but all of their righteous acts are actually like a filthy rags. The language here is actually like excrement. You can translate that into whatever word you want. Your righteous acts, the things that you do, are like excrement, rags of excrement. We're shriveled up like a leaf, and so there's reflection as a part of this process of, of, of waiting. And then finally, there is hope. Oh God, you are our Father. Please intervene on our behalf. This is all part of this process of waiting for people of faith who are waiting. There are also some instructions here. First of all, of course, the instruction is to wait patiently, but we also see an instruction to go, do good things. Two imperatives in the passage, verse 4 and 5. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. 
And so this is the instruction we get from Isaiah 64, that for people who are waiting, people of faith who are waiting, there's, there's the, 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 the imposition to wait patiently, but also to do good. To do good while you're waiting patiently. Now this would be a great time to just end and say, there is the word of the Lord for you. Be patient. Wait patiently and go do good in the world. Wouldn't that be nice? If I could just say that and everyone was like, yeah, that was the word. Now we just need to wait patiently and we need to do good things while we wait patiently. The problem, of course, is that <laughs> putting this into action is a lot easier than saying it. It's one thing to say, wait patiently and do good while you wait patiently. It's another thing to actually do it. And so our question for today is why, why is waiting so difficult? What is it that's so difficult about uh, waiting? Now, I'm sure we could come up with a bunch of responses. I, as always, have three for you. And the first is this. Waiting can make us obsessed with the future. And this is a huge, huge problem. Okay? It actually has manifested itself in religious communities in particular. You could make a case that our own community, the Adventist community, this is an Adventist congregation for those who may be unaware and new here today. Uh, Adventists love talking about the future. The second coming, the second advent of Jesus is going to happen. It's going to happen in time. We tried to predict when it's going to happen. We're very into the fact that Jesus is coming at some point in the future. Hopefully not too far in the future, but it's coming in the future. The problem is when you start talking about things in the future, waiting, you can get so obsessed with the future that you forget about what's happening in the present. can't forget about what's happening in the present. So when we become obsessed with the future, we miss out on what's happening in the present. And there are things happening in the present that we need to be awakened to and aware of. Injustices, inequality, things that we can actually help out. But if we're only talking and looking forward to the future, we're going to miss out on the needs of the here and now uh, today. And so this is a, a danger in fact, it inhibits our ability to wait patiently when we're always focused only on uh, the future. Uh, secondly, waiting creates uncertainty, which can make us feel out of control. Have you ever felt uncertain? It's not a good feeling. You're not sure what is next. You might be in that place now. Again, you're looking for the job, you're looking for the person, you're looking for whatever, and you're uncertain about where things are going, and that can be disconcerting, and that can lead to all kinds of uh, issues with our health, with our mental health, when we're uncertain about where things are going, and so that uncertainty is, is problematic. And then we start to kind of fill that uncertainty by distracting ourselves with other things, and sometimes those other things aren't that helpful to us either mentally or, or, or physically, and so this spirals, this uncertainty. And finally, we, uh, we struggle with waiting patiently and doing good because we feel like waiting uh, is a waste of time. It, sometimes it does feel, I mean, when I'm standing at the like, gigantic line at Whole Foods, it feels a little bit like a waste of time. Can we not figure this out and get going? Now, we, of course, thank God. Remember when we waited in lines and we didn't have cell phones? That was terrible. What were we doing? I'm talking to people. 
ironically, getting no people. Now, are you just a long line at Whole Foods? We have this like very convoluted thing at Whole Foods because the building is not big enough, so it weaves around the building, and everybody, nobody's interacting with each other. In fact, if you talk to someone, they probably slap you. They don't want to talk to you. So, so we're on our phones. We're trying to stop. I get some stuff done waiting at Whole Foods. But we feel like waiting can be a waste of time. And that, again, also inhibits our ability to be present, to, 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 to actually talk to people, to know what's going on right here and right now. And so all of this inhibits our ability to wait patiently and to do good while we're waiting patiently. So it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. So what hope do we have? How do we overcome this inability to wait patiently and do good while we're waiting patiently? Well, as always, we go back to the Lord Jesus, who waited patiently. Jesus himself waited uh, patiently. This is good news for us. We're not alone. Jesus has been through this, uh, too. In John chapter 7, we're told that Jesus told his disciples, my time is not yet here. My time is not yet here. Jesus had to wait for his time. There are 30 years of Jesus' life where we have, all, have almost no record of what he was doing. All we know is he was waiting. He was waiting for 30 years, a long time to wait. Some of you have waited 30 years. You know it, what it's like to wait 30 years for something. 30 years of waiting. My time is not yet. My favorite story of Jesus waiting where he gets frustrated. Jesus got frustrated. That is undeniably true. It's in Luke chapter 9. And I'm going to read 937. If you read back before this, though, there's this incredible story where Jesus takes three of his close friends, his close students, up on a mountaintop. Elijah and Moses show up. We call it the transfiguration. Jesus' face becomes glowing. It's this big deal, right? He's literally transformed in front of them. And so this incredible experience, Jesus himself has an incredible experience. He's glowing And so he goes down off the mountaintop with his disciples to meet the other disciples. These are people that he's now been walking and talking with for a long time. He's been training them. He's been teaching them. He's anticipating that they're going to be able to continue on doing what he's been doing once he leaves, which he knows is going to happen. So he gets down at the mountain. He meets up with his disciples, and this takes place. This is Luke 9, 37. The next day after the transfiguration... The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. Terrible. And then we read this. The man says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Now, Jesus is counting on these guys to be able to, 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 to move forward once he's gone, to, to, to build his church on, to establish his work going forward, because he said he's going to leave. He's counting on these guys. And this man comes with this dramatic situation And he says, your disciples, they couldn't do everything, anything to help. 
In verse 41, Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, in our imagination, we imagine him turning, not to the man who's bringing the, but to the disciples. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Does that sound like someone who's frustrated? How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? And then he tells the man, bring your son here, and he heals him instantaneously. Jesus knows what it means to wait. He had to wait for these guys that he had been training to get it together. After three and a half years, by the way, when he's crucified, his guys are still goofballs. They can't figure it out. Waiting. Jesus knows what it means to uh, wait. He even waited in the grave, if you remember. Jesus is good at waiting. Waiting dead in the grave. That's some serious uh, waiting. And then this is my favorite God passage about waiting. This is 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This says God is waiting. God waits. We're talking about a God who waits, God who does not get everything he wants, Despite what some will tell you, God does not get everything he wants. And that means that God is often waiting. He's not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. And so he's going to wait and wait and wait till it's impossible for anyone to, to be saved again. So I think that 2 Peter 3.9 is one of the best places to find good news in all the Bible. God is not slow. He's patient. doesn't want anyone to be lost. A God who is capable of waiting. A God who waits. And the good news for us is not just that God waits, but in our times when we are forced to wait, as most of us are doing now for something, God is able to empower us as we confess faith in him so that we can wait and do good as well. We're not on our own. We don't just have to go out and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and figure it out how to make it through this. Well, we can try that. There are strategies to be good at waiting, to, 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 to be, to be uh, better at, 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 at not getting frustrated at things. Surely we can do this. And that works at some level. But God is talking about a heart transformation that gives us power that we don't have for ourselves to be able to wait. He doesn't say he's going to make things quicker. That's not always, often not the case. I know, again, some of you who have been praying to God for things to happen, it doesn't happen quicker, but God is able to change our heart and our ability to wait patiently. Well, uh, last week, we had uh, some testimonies of Thanksgiving. It's our tradition at Advent Hope. So no teaching time other than we heard testimonies. Five people. Some of you were here. It was, it was incredible. It was very, very encouraging. They're all online now. They're on the network. They're also on the website. You can go back and listen to them. Every one of them encouraging. But, you know, the general sense was someone was going through some situation. By the way, Stephanie, who did our welcome, she shared last week. It was fabulous. Went through some experience, and then God showed up and did something and changed the game. So encouraging, except for those of us who might be waiting and are wondering, where is my testimony of thanksgiving? I mean, that's always the thing I worry about when we have testimonies. You know, 
someone gets up and tells this dramatic story, but somebody else is sitting in the pew saying, where is my testimony? I've been waiting for 30 years and nothing has happened. That can be discouraging. I know some of you are in that place right now. The good news is, while we don't have an answer for when God is going to show up and do what he can do for you to rectify all things and make everything right, that's what we're in. We're in this Advent season when we're looking forward to the time when God is going to come and make everything right. But the good news is, that's not just what God does. God is able to empower us to wait patiently with eyes open and spirits alive that while we're waiting patiently, we can do good today. We can help and leave the issues that our friends and our family and our neighbors and this world is experiencing right here and now so that we're not just focused on some distant point in the future, but that we're focused on what's happening now. God can give us, through the power of the Lord Jesus, the ability to wait patiently and do good while we're waiting patiently. And so during this Advent season, may God do that in your experience today. Amen.